friends. Welcome to Girl Empowered, a podcast with Ophelia's Plays designed to inspire, educate, and empower you and the girls in your life. I'm your host, River Allen. I had been thinking about what to exactly focus on for the month of November. And of course, things like Thanksgiving come up and then looking a little deeper, realizing also that November is Native American Heritage Month. And that kind of led me to recognize that there's some tension between those two things. You know, if we look at all into history, we can recognize some really problematic aspects of how we represent and don't represent the indigenous peoples of this country and how that feeds into some of the myth making that we undertake. And also, you know, that some of our our rituals and holidays have real meaning to people. Um, And it's just it's really complicated. And I thought, okay, well, I don't want to I don't want to step wrong. But I also think that sometimes we have to step into conversation. So um, what makes the most sense in circumstances like this is to really go to the people who have the knowledge, the people who maybe are not as often centered and whose voices are not as often heard. And fortunately for me, I have a friend who is a former intern from Ophelia's Place and now um, has a social work degree and is basically just a really amazing, inspiring, hilarious, wise person. And I reached out to her and we had some good conversation about um, what we might want to do with this topic and with this show today. And very graciously, a friend of hers was willing to join us. And we decided to to just take the space and have a conversation. And our hope is that uh, our listeners will think a little more deeply about some of these issues and also have conversations with kids, with family members, with friends, and um, be willing to explore, learn, dig a little deeper. And we're really lucky today that you'll get to hear um, from some very wise young women um, sharing their thoughts and experiences and suggestions for all of us. All right, I'm really excited to hear from my two guests today. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over and let the two of you wonderful women introduce yourselves. I would love to. My name is Jordan. I use she, her pronouns. I am an enrolled member of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma. I got my bachelor. Uh, Bachelor's of Arts from the University of Oregon uh, with a major in Family and Human Services and a minor in Native American Studies, and then got my Master's of Social Work from Washington University in St. Louis with a concentration in American Indian and Alaska Native communities. Hello, everyone. My name is Alejandra Gonzalez. I'm a member of the Yankton Sioux Tribe of South South Dakota. Um, I got my Bachelor's in Indigenous and American Indian Studies at Haskell Indian Nations University. I also graduated this past May with my master's of social work at um, the Brown School of Social Work in St. Louis. Um, Currently, I'm back home. I just started my position as the K-12 school counselor at Marty Indian School, which is our tribal school. Awesome. Thank you so much. So today, um, we're really looking forward to this November episode, really focusing on some issues around indigeneity within North America and hearing some from some voices that can speak more fully about the experiences of Native peoples, um, particularly in this time of year. And so uh, at this point, I'm just going to step back a little bit and I'd love to hear the two of you and what you would like our, our audiences to think about and hear and take away from today's conversation. So we're just going to kind of let it unspool and um, listen to the both of you. 
Yay. Thank you, River. Um, definitely when you first reached out to me about doing this episode in November, um, one of the first things that came to my mind was, I know you reached out specifically talking, uh, mentioning Native American Heritage Month, which is the month of November. Um, but I was thinking more about the difficulties of this time for Native people because we start October off the first couple weeks with um, what is federally recognized as Columbus Day, though is in many places recognized as Indigenous Peoples Day. And I know a lot of Natives celebrate it as Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, and then roll into Halloween, which historically has been kind of a time where a lot of Natives um, feel a lot of burnout and disrespect just because of um, how our culture is treated in popular media and as a costume and things like that. And then kind of ending this two month stretch with Thanksgiving, which we also know historically has been a date um, of disrespect and also just historical inaccuracy. And so when you reached out, I was kind of thinking that might be a good conversation to have when we think about allyship and why it's important for non-natives. Um, to be vocal in certain settings, especially during this time when we're maybe getting a lot of that backlash or a lot of that frontal uh, disrespect. And it's really, it's really overwhelming and can create a lot of burnout. And it might exhaust us to the point where we can't speak up about those things or we don't have the energy to speak up about those things. Right. Um, and Ollie, I don't know if you have anything to add about that. Those are kind of the three main things I think of during this time of year off that. Um, I really think you hit the nail on the head uh, right now in this this current position that I'm in um, and just being back home and in a different phase of my life. I've been really looking at the emotional labor you mm -hmm. know, this this time of year takes. Um, and it's it's really it's overwhelming a little bit just because when we're younger, we don't really um, acknowledge what's going on. Um, well, like uh, South Dakota, um, we have a different kind of experience, I guess. We're a lot more rural out here. Mm -hmm. And so I really, when I was younger, I didn't really pay attention or acknowledge um, how, um, how, I don't even know how the words, I guess no one's really asked me, asked me my perspective or, you know, my experience, but we don't realize how um, important it is to acknowledge Native American Heritage and History Month. And I will say that South Dakota did um, change Columbus Day to Native American Day in the 90s. I don't remember mm -hmm. which law or policy, but we've been acknowledging that for a while here. Um, so, yeah. uh, That's really cool. I actually, now that you mention it, it is really interesting for me to hear your perspective being in the schools, because I think especially like public school education before heading off to college is where a lot of that misinformation like stems from when we think about learning about Columbus Day and who Columbus was and a lot of it is incorrect and false and it's this like very pretty picture perpetuated by public education and then Thanksgiving too about this first peaceful Thanksgiving where the natives sat down with the pilgrims and we all shared our recipes and it was great and that kind of overshadows the reality of what actually happened like I think now historians say there's no evidence that a first Thanksgiving ever actually happened. Even if there was like a first peaceful Thanksgiving dinner, it definitely doesn't give 
credence to the rest of what happened when we think about colonial relations in, in this country, when we think about like smallpox blankets and uh, putting native communities on reservation lands displaced from their homelands and sending native kids off to boarding schools away from their families and uh, all of these other really atrocious things that are our nation, not our nation, the U.S. government did to Native communities. And I think especially like the educational institutions are one of like the biggest sources of disrespect to Native communities Mm -hmm. in this country when you think about it, because that's where a lot of our ideas and our stories have been discredited because they're not considered valid or, you know, research based or anything like that. It's also a place where Native children were sent to, you know, have their culture quite literally beaten out of them. Um, And so it's just, I don't know, Ollie, if you have any comment on that of if you or like what the curriculum looks like in your public school around these holidays. I would definitely think, you know, our stay that, of course, that's not accurate. A lot of the history, but um, I feel like they don't even touch on indigenous people. I didn't learn about my own people until I graduated um, high school and went to college, specifically Haskell, which is the tribal college and university, TCU. Um, but yeah, it was it blew my mind once I left and was learning about my own people, my own history, you know, our treaties, our laws, even our culture. Um, I had to leave home to learn about that, which, you know, like I said, it blows my mind. And finally, coming back home and um, just past this past 2020, you know, um, I moved home during the pandemic during in November, which is, mm-hmm. you know, not a good idea in South Dakota because all the winter and the weather. But I was so happy to be home um, just to reconnect. And right now we um, well, just recently, I know that with um, the curriculums, we had um, the Osheti Shakoi standards going on, which was a whole group of elders came together and they put a bunch of information um, into like this curriculum that we were supposed to have placed in all the public schools in South Dakota. Um, I don't know all the accurate information. I'm just slowly catching up. <laughs> but um, yeah, so they were supposed to be teaching about, you know, our history here. And um, for some reason, the South Dakota Department of Education, I believe, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody. <laughs> but um, they actually removed that curriculum. And I know there was a, um, a protest up at Pier, which is our capital. And I don't know what's going on with that right now. I think it's going to be held up in court, but it really shows that how much our, you know, how their, how South Dakota schools and um, the department of education is not really open to even learning about the original occupants of this land. I think that's a really good point. And when I think about that, it just, it kind of feels like an injustice to like youth because where are they supposed to be getting this information from the public school? or just education in general, and they're not getting that. And I think that's when it provides a really great opportunity for parents to be allies to Native communities, because you can be talking with your kids about the truth about these holidays. And I just recently had a friend from our program who has three, or she has two children who are in um, a private Catholic school. And she talked to both of them well before Um, Indigenous Peoples Day about the reality of who Columbus was, what he did, and why he's not someone to be celebrated or revered. 
and had very transparent conversations with both of her children. One of them, um, she is, I think, uh, 10 or 11. And then her son is only like six, six or seven. And so she, she tailored it, you know, to be age appropriate. She wasn't as transparent as maybe she was with her oldest daughter, but she definitely had a, a truthful conversation with them about what that was. And then they went to class and her oldest daughter said that they didn't even talk about Columbus in her class. They just briefly mentioned like, oh, this is a holiday we're not celebrating it. And, and her daughter was vocal about it and was like, actually Columbus was not great. He was actually a terrible person. And like, it's great that we're not really spending any time on him, but maybe could talk about why, you know, other people celebrate him and they shouldn't. And so I was like, wow, the power coming from this 11 year old girl to be vocal in her classroom when that's kind of scary, really scary, actually. But then her son also said that in his class, they did talk about Columbus and it was a completely different narrative than what he talked about with his mom. And they talked about the three ships, like the, I can't even remember what their names are, the Maria, Santa Maria. They talked about the three ships and he came home and he like had painted this picture of the three ships but she had to be really honest with him about you know this isn't something to be celebrated and I love that you're creative and I love your art but I I'm not going to keep this painting because it represents all of this stuff that we already talked about and I think he understood you know he was like it it kind of hurts that we're not going to hang up my painting but he's six and he still understood the gravity of why that wasn't going to be something that they were going to celebrate in their household and so I think sometimes like it's a scary conversation to have, especially with younger, younger kids. But I think we don't give kids enough credit when we think about what they can handle and what they understand. And they're a lot more intelligent and they're a lot more socially aware than I think we give them credit for. And I think that was a perfect example. And she reached out to me and was like, should I have done that? Do you think I was like too harsh on him? And I was like, I don't think your son is going to grow up and say, you know, I know my mom didn't love me because she threw away a painting one time I did in the first grade of Christopher Columbus's ship. I think he's going to be very socially aware. He's going to be smart and he's going to be a great ally to those communities that he doesn't belong to because you're having these conversations so early on. I really appreciate that piece about um, recognizing the wisdom and competence of young people to take in complicated information and histories and think about them and then be able to develop a sense of voice, even at a young age. And I'm wondering, um, Alejandro, have you, have you seen that with any kids that you've worked with of, of any background, just kind of that same ability to kind of take in the complexities of, of this topic? Right now I work with native youth, um, mm-hmm. at the tri- at my, uh, tribal school, Marty Indian school. And, you know, I, um, they amaze me every day I think that their ability to understand the complexities of life is so um strong resilient they have this um this interconnectedness with themselves but also each other that they're not aware of and I know personal experience that life is complicated especially growing up on the reservation especially you know growing up in the school system even if it's a tribal school we're still you know, in a American style structure, you know, education classroom. And it's really difficult to, you know, come from this background, come from 
you know, um, this border town. Well, it's uh, where our reservation is checkerboarded. So it's a reservation, but also a town. And, you know, it's there's such tension and especially around anything to do with us expressing our pride or, you know, um, anything regarding anything tribal. There's a couple incidences where there was, I mean, thank God for social media, but it's also kind of tricky to navigate. But there was just some complicated stuff going on this summer where a lot of people were being racist, a lot of administration, um, a lot of companies going on. But I think that the it gave the students, the kids, um, you know, their voice. It, it helped them, um, you know, practice their resilience, practice advocating for themselves and for their people. And I really do believe in our sayings that, you know, the, the kids are our future, future generations. Yeah. That's actually, you brought up a, another really good point. Everything you say just makes me think of something else, but just <laughs> recently, like yesterday or the day before there was a, a post that was going around a video of a math teacher who was doing like a tribal chant, non-native teacher, math teacher, making fun of like indigenous culture to try and like, quote unquote, tell a story so that her students understood math better, essentially was what it boiled down to. And it was very racist because she had this like paper headdress on that she'd made and she was banging on a drum and doing all of this stuff and someone recorded it and you could tell the students were so uncomfortable with it. But because they're in this classroom where there's a clear hierarchy of like the teacher has the authority, I'm the student, I don't hold a lot of power you know, clearly people didn't want to say anything, but just the courage of this student to pull out their phone and start recording. And not only that, knowing the power of social media, I think especially young people know how to get things spread around and like know how to make things heard. And so knowing that posting that on social media was going to make it probably go viral or widespread. And then, uh, I think now the teachers on leave or I know the school district put out a um, put out a statement about it, but it's something that she's been doing for years because it's in past yearbooks. Her quoted as saying like, I do this because it tells a story and I feel like that's the best way to convey math is to have it associated with a story. And um, she's been doing it for a long time, but I think it was just a really powerful statement of like, sometimes I think students in these school systems don't aren't given autonomy and power they're told you know you have to listen you have to ask when you need to go to the bathroom you have to ask for any number of basic things right um and still how young people find power in those situations like you know maybe taking the risk of getting in trouble and going to the principal's office by having their phone out but knowing like i want to record this so other people can see it and know this is not okay and this is like the system we're existing in um was was amazing and i'm i'm excited to uh, excited and nervous to kind of see how that story pans out because i think ollie and i know we've seen maybe one too many scenarios where someone gets called out for something and then they get a slap on the wrist and then it's forgotten i will say i'm really happy that you know um that they did record because whenever um you know this it just takes me back when i see stuff happening like that it takes me back to when i was in high school or middle school Mm -hmm. and there would be teachers who would you know stuff that say stuff that was blatantly racist like my name for example I had a teacher you know making fun of it saying it was a funny name or you know hearing students talk about you know these stereotypes that 
that goes around about native people being, you know, like drunk Indians and stuff like that. So anytime I would speak out or another native student would speak out, we would automatically be sent to the principal's office or, you know, suspended or detention, you know, just being punished for sticking up for ourselves. So you can really see how, you know, how oppressive these school systems are. But now that we have social media, now we have like all these resources and tools within our grasp. It's, you know, given us um, the ability to, you know, geez, to prove ourselves to, you know, mm-hmm. provide evidence. And, you know, I'm just thinking about all the students that I work with and everybody that I graduated with. And, you know, when you get in trouble like that, like the detentions or, you know, they really point or paint you as the bad person or a bad student. And I know that happens a lot. And it just makes me think of how that contributes to low retention rates for Native people, Native mm-hmm. students. You know, that just creates more obstacles and barriers. Um, I know that, of course, stereotypes and cultural appropriation are harmful. Um, but it, it in, you know, the lack of representation, accurate representation, not only in the media, but like in the school systems and mm-hmm. higher education and all these different areas and fields, um, how that is, takes a toll as well. Like if you're putting that much time and energy in promoting all these um, in culturally insensitive stereotypes and characters and stories and movies, you should be putting that into, you know, um, accurately portraying Indigenous people. Yeah. And I think too, that lack of representation is what helps this idea stay alive that Native people don't exist anymore. For a lot of people, they don't realize Native people exist, but that when we do exist, we're very much stuck in the past. Last year, I gave a talk for the Missouri History Museum. They held a panel about Thanksgiving and sort of like, it was a bunch of Natives and we talked about what Thanksgiving means to us, how we celebrate it, knowing, you know, the origins of the holiday, if we do celebrate it, you know, things like that. And it was a great discussion because a lot of people came forward and, or, you know, showed up and were like, yeah, like I, I cook my traditional foods or, you know, I actually don't celebrate that holiday. And I just, you know, tell my family that I love them. And maybe we eat a potluck on a different day, or I do still have a potluck, but I think of it this way. It was for elementary school kids, like fourth and fifth grade. And they asked questions originated from these ideas of natives being in the past, like them, them seeing natives as like showing up by the river and trading beads for shells, and then going back to our, you know, tiny communities with our teepees and our all gathered around the fire. And I was like, well, like one, one question that did come out was, do you guys still have trading posts? And I was like, well, I don't know if I would necessarily say that we have like physical trading posts that we go to, like in my community, we do not, but we utilize the internet and social media as a sort of virtual trading post. So at the time, I'd just gotten this pair of earrings that I had traded um, for some sage and sweetgrass. And so I mailed it to her. And then when she got that, she mailed me the earrings and we facilitated all of that over Twitter. And I was like, so, you know, we still keep alive these things that we've always done and these values that our communities and our people have always held, like trading, but we, we modernize it. We utilize what we have because we are still here. We're existing in this world of technology and all of these things. And, you know, we can adapt and we were forced to adapt. Um, we had to, a lot of, a lot of people's traditional ways were um, taken and stolen by colonizers. And some communities are not fortunate enough to have access to those ways anymore. And so they've had to create 
new ways of being. And so I think it's important to not only recognize like we can we can be modern and we can utilize the internet and we can utilize all of these things like to make life maybe a little bit easier, but also some of us don't have the privilege of knowing what our traditional ways are or, you know, knowing where those stem from, where the origins are, or exactly how our ancestors practiced those because that was stolen from us when, you know, they took our kids to boarding school or they removed us from our traditional lands or any of the number of things that colonizers did when they were infiltrating this country. I definitely agree. I, I, you know, working with little kids, the younger ones, it's, it's kind of harder to explain. Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, I want to tell you the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. This could be a <laughs> spill, but, um, I definitely agree. I, like I mentioned before, I had to leave home to learn about my own people mm-hmm. and, um, I'm back now, but looking back on how we celebrated Thanksgiving and, um, all these other holidays, it's, we kind of used it as an excuse just to come together again to appreciate yeah. each other. I think that um, that was the reason why we came together, even if it's Thanksgiving and it represents, you know, you know, um, the massacre of the mm-hmm. whatever's the real history. Um, you know, we always use that as a time to come together, like you said, because there was literally laws against us practicing our own, you know, ceremonies, our own um, spirituality and whatnot. But I love the fact that we're, you know, Native people, Indian countries moving towards this idea of food sovereignty, because it really Mm -hmm. um, explains the meaning behind um, or it really highlights that Thanksgiving, all the food that they're eating is indigenous foods. I thought that was so that was so awesome. And that was so cool um, just to learn about indigenous foods and, you know, going into um, how we know that food is medicine and how that kind of helped remedy this um, emotional labor that we're doing around these holidays. You know, my mom put so much Mm -hmm. love into her food that I was like, all right, you know, we didn't feel like we had to do as much emotional labor during that time. I think too, like something you said that was like, it made me think is understanding like non-natives understanding that not all natives have the same ideas or practice the same things. Like there are over 500 federally recognized tribes in the U S even more state recognized tribes or non-recognized tribes who, uh, you know, aren't federally recognized for a number of different reasons. And so not every natives, not every native person's perspective on something is going to be the same. So like when I, when you were talking about Thanksgiving and practicing it and you viewed it as like coming together and, you know, having the potluck and, and all of that. And, I've had a number of people, especially in grad school, ask me, like, do you celebrate Thanksgiving? Like, isn't that weird? Don't. And I was like, I still eat on Thanksgiving. My family still gets together on Thanksgiving and we eat. We don't get together and like, you know, celebrate Plymouth Rock and the pilgrims arriving in the U.S. But like we get together and we eat. We have a good time. And I know plenty of natives that get together on Thanksgiving and celebrate it as Thanksgiving and they don't think anything about it. And then I know plenty of natives that don't celebrate it at all, or they do anti Thanksgiving, you know, there's a number of different ways. And so it's important when we do like, think about these things to realize not, you know, everyone's different. Everyone does different things. It's not right or wrong. It's not the native way versus the non it's, you know, we all, we all kind of take it as we can. And we practice resilience where, where we can, especially when we were in grad school and we started and we were 
we were like, there were 10 of us, 10 Native students in our cohort of like 150 students. And we were so overwhelmed. I know I felt like a fish out of water, way out of community. I was so scared and lonely. And we would just get together every weekend and have potlucks together. And we'd all cook and we'd get together and watch a movie or just do something. And we would all come around food and, you know, just be grateful that at least we had the 10 of us, you know? Um, And I think that's kind of when I think about how do we, you know, when you think about your cup of water, right. And it's like draining this whole, this whole two month period, it's just being drained and drained and drained from all of these holidays, all of these stereotypes, all of this lack of representation. How do you refill your cup? How do you get that care? And I really feel like for us, or at least for me, I don't want to speak again for all natives because we're all different, but community is really where I feel like I get that. It doesn't matter if we're eating, if we're, you know, sewing, if we're beating, if we're watching a movie, singing, it doesn't matter. Like being with other people and getting to share that and just like unload the burden with everyone kind of for a little bit feels really healing. Yes. I think, um, I mean, we definitely shared the same experience. We all talked about it almost every week, I felt like. <laughs> but I think what people, I mean, you know, for us, it's Indigenous People's Day every day. For us, it's Native mm-hmm. American Heritage Month every day. But I think what people don't realize is the fact that, especially when we were in grad school, we had so much work to do around this month. Oh my gosh. And it wasn't, I don't mind, you know, I really don't mind, but it was just so expected of us. and. I kind of felt like it was um, like we were really like highlighted or, you know what I mean? I don't know how to describe it, but it felt like, you know, yeah, it was just so much work. And I'm like, wait a minute, how come you're so interested in Native people just on this day or just in this month, you know? And then like the the burden they put on us to do all of the like actual physical labor. So like planning the events on Indigenous Peoples Day, that was completely planned by like the Native Student Union at school and getting all of that set up, there was, it almost seemed like, you know, there's this hurrah around Indigenous Peoples Day and allies are like, this day is great. And I recognize Indigenous Peoples Day, but behind the scenes, the Native students were having to coordinate, show up two hours early to an event to get it set up, make sure we did cleanup, make sure we did distribution of information so people knew when to come, where to show up contact people to get like we had to do so much to get all of this stuff prepared and it's like is this really celebrating indigenous people if at the end of the day your your only indigenous students are so burned out that they're going home and they don't have time for homework and you know just completely overwhelmed at a larger level like what are these institutions doing is it supporting or is it is it using the labor of these students to make your institution look good because i think you and I, Ollie, really saw in grad school, that's what it seemed like was let's almost abuse the Native students and their power and their labor. And then on the front, it'll look really good because we have a whole program dedicated to Native students and we celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day and Native American Heritage Month. But in the background, it's like, I think Native American Heritage Month during my undergrad and grad school career was probably the most stressful month out of any other month of the year. It was like, I didn't even get to enjoy the aspects of my culture that usually brought me healing because it was like my energy was being exploited by the institutions that I was studying. 
Mm-hmm. And that was the only, um, that was like only, you're only talking about the work that we did outside of the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even touch about the work that we did inside the classrooms literally every week, you know, <laughs> and I was always like dreading that I didn't have, you know, some classes with at least one other Buddha student. I mean, one other native student in there, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's how, like when I do say like, you know, individual allies, like how you can be an ally is include, like if you're a teacher, for example, include indigenous voices in your curriculum, because I really feel like every week or every day, every class, the native students, there was this unspoken expectation that we would show up and also be like co-professors to the professor, because our perspective and our experience was never included in the syllabus. And so we would show up and every day I, it was like we had to be on, you know, you couldn't just show up to class and be like, today, I'm just taking notes. I'm not going to speak up. It was like, all right, I'm showing up to this three hour class. I have a three hour class after this, but I have to show up at 9 a.m. and be ready to give a very well rounded and articulate summary of the indigenous experience as it pertains to the class subject, because I know it's not going to be included in what we talk about. It's not going to be in the PowerPoint and the professor probably won't even think to, to, to include it at any point in their tenure. So I better bring it up. If, you know, if you love to teach, you know, maybe do a little bit more research, include that in your curriculum. I, I want to be a social worker. I don't want to show up to class and teach my whole class about this. And then when you are off, you know, and you say something that's just maybe not worded right, or you just say it a little bit differently than how you actually mean it, people just take that and they run with it. And they're like, that's the indigenous experience. That's how every native feels. And that's how every native has experienced the world. And you're like, dude, it's, it's 9 a.m. I went to bed at three last night. Whatever I said, I, it barely made sense to me. You can't take that and apply everywhere, you know? You can't just read an indigenous people's history of the United States by Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz and say, I know what it's like to be a native in this country. No, you got to read that and this and that, you know, like you have to constantly continue learning because it is constantly changing. And even in our communities, I feel like I'm still learning, you know, like the way I talk to elders is much different than the way I talk to young natives, because those two experiences are completely different in how they experienced being native in this country. And so they have totally different preferences, even on from from the most basic thing of like how they want to identify, you know, like, I've rarely met a young native that wants to use the term American Indian as an identity term. Whereas like elders, I almost feel like I've heard many more elders say, I prefer the term American Indian. And so it's just, you know, you constantly have to be open and can't ever be stagnant as an ally in what you're, what you're taking in and what you're learning. I can go on and on, but it felt like we were just, we weren't really there. Okay. So we went for our social work degrees, you know, um, master's of social work. But it's like we weren't able to fully express ourselves academically because we were limited to just acknowledging Indigenous existence, you know. Um, So I vote that next year they just give the whole day off for everyone. Don't do any events. Don't do any work. Nothing like that. (laughs) Mental health day. (laughs) And I really think like that is kind of like a way that an ally can show up, right? Is like just giving someone the day off. Like if your organization or if your company is like, how can I best support my native staff on this day? Cut the day, done. 
paid holiday. I don't know. Figure it out. You know, let us have a day off. We're tired. This whole two month span is exhausting. And the way I think too, sometimes maybe where allies get upset or something is like the way that we're going to practice community care, community healing and self-healing probably is not going to be with those allies. Usually when you are with allies, it's almost more draining and, you know, and it's not an ally's fault that that's the case, but it's like, I want to be with my community and my people practicing my traditions. And so like the way you can be an ally is allowing me to do that, like allowing me to take a step back from you and this institution or these businesses or whatever, and go, go be with my community or go be by myself doing the things that I need to do to recoup so that I can show up not only, you know, in whatever capacity they know me as, whether it's a professional or a student or whatever, but also like, so I can show up as a human being every day, you know, like I can, I can show up. I agree. I'm wondering wondering if the two of you wanted to speak directly a little bit towards maybe uh, our younger people. Um, and that can certainly include um, our younger Native people, but but also to those non-Native folks, um, young people who I think you've both touched on. Often we see incredible um, humanity among our young people, this, this incredible drive towards justice and fairness and wanting to help. Um, and often growing up with those stereotypes, with that misinformation and even, you know, kind of trying to navigate that. Um, I guess what what do you just feel like young people in particular need to hear about this time and about thinking about um, indigenous people all the time, not just in these kind of um, particular days or months? I think something that's really important, especially being younger, is one, always be open to learning, whether it's by listening to people or reading or, you know, maybe listening to a podcast. Like there's so many ways now today to learn about Indigenous people and our experiences. You know, if you don't like to read, you don't have to read. You can find a number of other different mediums to get that information. And I think, too, especially if you're showing up as an ally, like, you know, be humble because you're young. You're not going to get it right the first time. I'm 25 and I'm still not getting it right. And I still get called out by elders and my other native relatives for saying things that are problematic or not practicing something the right way. And and I'm native, you know, and I still get it wrong. So understand, you know, as allies to whatever community you're an ally to, you're going to get it wrong sometimes. And the best way to grow from that and learn from that is to take it with some humility and, you know, ask how you can do better in the future. And it's embarrassing and it sucks, but it's, it's really the only way you're going to grow and you're going to be a better ally. And also lastly, that young people have a lot more power than I think adults like to give them credit for. And I don't know if it's a conscious thing on adults part to kind of like try to tamp that down because they know how much power the youth have, but youth really do have a lot of power, especially in the realm, like Ollie said, of social media, because they are absolute technological whizzes. They know how to, they know how to get down on TikTok, like they do all of that. And so you have a lot of power in those realms. And even when you might feel powerless, you know, in other aspects of your life, like the classroom, because of that hierarchy, there are other ways that you can exercise that allyship that are really important and sometimes even more meaningful than these other 
places that you might not feel like you hold a lot of a lot of say. A lot of good points there, Jordan. Um, I really like the first one that you said, and that's what my mind immediately went to was just being open, being Mm -hmm. open and definitely being honest, especially if you're an ally wanting to um, work with the native community, work with the tribal population, just definitely be open, be honest. And I would say do things with good intentions and in a good way. Um, I think, you know, kind of like what Jordan said, be humble and, you know, be open to learning about different tribal populations and their protocols, their values, their belief systems. That doesn't mean go and investigate, nothing like that, but just be open and be honest with your intentions and, you know, um, continue to taking down the patriarchy, taking down all these these systems that leave out everybody um, who don't fit within their norm, Western norms. Um, But I, I think that's where I'll end it. Be confident. Also take care of yourself, whether you're a native youth or a non-native youth, you have to take care of yourself because I think especially our youth today are like feeling the weight of the world on their shoulder because of social media. They see everything that like, I know I was not digesting when I was a teen, I was in my own world. You know, I didn't have to see, you know, the state of our country, the state of the world, the environmental impact of all of these decisions by big corp, you know, all of these things that I know our youth are really struggling to like grapple with and also maintain their own mental health. And so like, whether you're a native youth or you're just an ally, like take care of yourself. A lot of youth are ingrained with older adults' perspectives because you grow up hearing from your parents and your family these certain ideas. And if you're starting to untangle those and maybe like say, hmm, I don't agree with that, that can be a lot of like, that can be like an identity crisis. And so be gentle with yourself. Take the time to take care of yourself. You're not a bad ally because you need to sit down and just, you know, watch some anime for, you know, a whole weekend straight instead of reading an indigenous people's history of the United States. You're fine. Like take the time. Uh, I really appreciate all of this, but I think that that piece around um, caring for ourselves uh, in any of our identities is how we can actually create that capacity to Mm -hmm. grow, to learn, to reach out and support each other and have solidarity with each other and actually hopefully facilitate change. And I think that's a key piece that we sometimes forget. So thank you for that. Um, I'm wondering if you all would like to, is there any shout outs you'd like to do like, um, indigenous makers, creators, teachers, um, that listeners could follow, could learn from, could support with dollars and likes and everything else. Is there anyone that comes to mind that you'd like to kind of, uh, shine a little light on? Um, I will definitely say the entire native studies faculty at the university of Oregon and the Longhouse Steward at the University of Oregon, the Longhouse Steward at Lane Community College, just the entire uh, Indigenous community over in Eugene and Springfield deserve a huge shout out. I know I would not have made it through my four years at the University of Oregon had it not been for not only the students and and the professors supporting me, but those community members that showed up for students, even though they didn't have to, like we would have elders come to potlucks every week and check in on the students and you know the only connection they had to us was that we were all native i'm on the same track i would love to shout out hostel indian nations university Mm -hmm. um that school has changed my life it helped me in so many ways um i've had a lot of good people that i've met there that are you know 
colleagues, peers, friends, but also mentors who took the time to believe in me, you know, as a young Native person, as a young Native woman, as a young, um, you know, Native researcher, they really showed me how to love myself, be patient with myself and how to appreciate myself. Um, so a special shout out to Laura Rice, Angela Nunn, and um, Angelina Adams. I really appreciate that. And um, I honestly can't thank you both enough. Um, I, I know that we had some conversations before this about um, that whole notion you brought up around emotional labor, about um, this tendency to, to ask of Native people during very specific times, like, hey, can you come share your voices and your insights? And, um, and I appreciate that in that conversation, you both were willing to um, give of yourselves and hopefully offer some insights and education to our listeners and help us all kind of think about um, what we can do together to create a society that is safer, more welcoming, more loving towards uh, each other and specifically towards our indigenous peoples who have been here from the beginning. So um, your time is very much appreciated and very welcome and your voices are important. So thank you again. Thank you, River. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. I'll end today with a poem by Louise Erdrich, who is an Indigenous author and, among many other awards, a Pulitzer Award winner. And the poem is called Original Fire. I watch my daughter build a fire, not from a match or a cigarette lighter, but from the original elements, two sticks, a length of sinew, friction. She has formed a cup of juniper shreds, and when she spins out a black ember and breathes it to life, she transfers the radiant pebble into the nest and breathes again. Sparks fly from her lips. A dove of flame bursts from between her hands. She speaks to the spark until the words catch and burn, and I think here is my daughter, who is innocent of all things, yet from whose lips the terrible and merciful flame flies out, the truth fire. Thank you to my guests, Jordan and Alejandra, to Louise Erdrich for her beautiful words, and to all of you for joining us today for Girl Empowered. This is River Olland, your host. I look forward to being with you next time. And remember, empowered girls change the world. <laughs>